Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word that tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ that is in, in God. We thank you that uh, while there are forces that seek to destroy your image bearers, uh, that seek to appear to reign in this time of darkness, that, Lord, you are the victor, that you remain uh, in charge. And, Lord, we thank you for these little ones. We pray that you would protect them. Uh, by your name, that you would remind them that they are precious to you, uh, that God, that you would remind them that they are loved by you, and Lord, that you would speak truth and grace into their hearts through their teachers. Lord, we need a fresh word, a fresh means of grace to rearm us and to equip us uh, for the battle before us. And so we pray this for these young ones as well as us who remain in this sanctuary, even through this weak vessel, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. July of Faith is the month that we focus on prayer. Uh, we want to encourage our church to be a praying church, and this month we've been focusing on the prayer of John 17, the prayer of Jesus. Uh, and there we find this most intimate, uh, the most extensive, uh, longest prayer that revealed Christ's relationship with his Father. And uh, it's titled, often the high priestly prayer, because that's really what it is. It is an expression of Christ who has gone into uh, the heavens who intercedes on our behalf. And he's there praying uh, before the disciples in the, in the Father's ears. And it's, it has been said that here we see the soul of Jesus. Well, last week we focused on the first five, five verses. A couple of weeks ago we f focused on the first prayer request of Jesus, which was, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son might glorify you. And there we saw how in that prayer, Jesus asked that the Father would be manifested, that his love, his self-giving love would be manifested in his Son, and principally through the work of the cross. And he prayed this, that eternal life, that people would know that he is the true God and that Jesus Christ is his son. And so we saw in that prayer, Jesus' prayer that he would be glorified. But next, the next prayer request that we're looking at today is, Father, keep them, or Father, protect them. And what, a, what an appropriate and needful thought that we have this week uh, as we consider this part of Jesus' prayer starting in verse 6 in John 17. I have manifested your name to the people you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. 
All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you, get, you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. It's the word of the Lord. We're often unaware of how much danger we are in, or the forces of evil that surround us. Uh, the media and the news have again reminded us of these realities in this week's tragedy in, in Nice, France, where after a fireworks display on their Bastille Day, which in the U.S. would be considered a Fourth of July celebration, a man bent on destruction used a truck to kill scores of people, and hundreds more were injured. Ten of those were children that were that lost their lives. And Prime Minister Manuel Valls said, expressing his own fatigue, France is going to have to get used to terrorism. And a New York Times article titled, Can We Stop Terror by Truck? Highlighting the ubiquitous, omnipresent nature of trucks and how difficult it would be to stop such terrorism was this statement. The West may be tired of war, but war is not tired of us. And Baltimore, too, knows of such tireless assaults against unsuspecting people. Last Monday evening, a group of 20 or 30 people gathered for a candlelight vigil to honor the life of Jermaine Schofield, the young father of two children whose life was gunned down. And while the crowd was gathered, a gunman opened fire, wounding five people, four women and a man. Unfortunately, no one died. But the mother of the deceased son said, what else, what else is it you want? What else do you want? You got my son, and you're still shooting at us because we have a candlelight vigil? When will it end? And she says, I'm tired. I'm tired. It's innocent people being shot. Enough is enough. And if you're like me, you might feel some of that fatigue or the trauma fatigue that she expressed. You may be hesitant uh, to even turn on the news for fear of more bad news. And some of you are thinking, so why do we have to come to a worship service and hear a preacher remind us of these bad things today? Because the scriptures remind us that it is true. You and I exist in a context of constant threat where there are forces of evil that surround us, that seek our harm and our destruction. And here in these verses in John 17, Jesus reveals to us the reality of such real and present danger, personal threats. And he prays numerous times to the Father, keep them, protect them from the evil one. The dangers are real and they are urgent. And after Jesus prays to the Father that the that, that the Son would be glorified, the very next prayer, the very first prayer request on Jesus' 
list of prayers and petitions is, Father, protect them, protect them, keep them. The point is often made when uh, preachers get to a section like this, that if Jesus felt that way of uh, praying for the protection of his disciples, if he felt that it was that important, and Jesus, he knows all things, he knows the real threats and the real dangers that we're in, if Jesus prays like that for his disciples, how, how much more should we be praying, recognizing that we are in real danger, or praying for our children, or praying for our leaders, or praying for our family and our friends? Now, it's easy for a preacher to tell others that they should pray more, <laughs> and to pray more for the protection of others. It's easy for a preacher to say you should do more, pray more, do more. And every conscientious person would say, yes, pastor, I know that's true. I should pray more. Thank you for reminding me of that today. But while that is an important application to this passage, the way I believe Jesus encourages us to pray more is not by telling us to pray more for our protection, but by showing us himself praying for his disciples, praying for us, praying for our protection. Specifically, Jesus shows us how he prays for us and what he prays for. We find that Jesus prays for the protection of his disciples. He prays and he brings up three aspects. The esteem of his disciples that he seeks protection for, the enemy against his disciples, and the essentials he prays for in their protection, the esteem. He says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Okay, so here is Jesus praying to the Father. And in this section, Jesus is mainly talking about praying for his disciples. And Jesus lets his disciples eavesdrop. They're hearing Jesus pray to the Father, and he wants them to overhear this discourse with his father. And what does he say to his father about them? Okay, Father, I have done my very best with these men, but they are still rough around the edges. I mean, it is like it has taken them forever to really understand that I am your son. They keep asking me, what do you mean about this or that? Like, show us the father. And I am standing right in front of them, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father, but they don't get it. They are so dense-headed. They think I should run for president, and they are jockeying for being vice president or the top cabinet positions. And, now, and I know right after I finish praying here, I will ask them to pray with me. Just stay awake for one hour, just one hour, and they will all fall asleep. I have even told them over and over again, that I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be handed over, I'm going to be beaten, I'll be crucified. Can't you just pray one hour for me? You and I both know that they are going to be scattered like the wind when I get arrested. And even Peter, how in the world are we appointing him to be the lead apostle? That rock, he is going to melt like butter. Uh, you and I both know he's a coward. He's going to deny me not once, not twice, but three times. And after everything I have done, I mean, come on, I am getting ready to die for these sorry bunch of pathetic, weak men. How in the world can I leave them with this mission? 
I don't know, Father. This really doesn't look very good. Now, Jesus could have said something like that because all of that is true. But he didn't. And the amazing thing, the astounding thing, is that Jesus only says wonderful things about his disciples to his Father. They have kept my word. They know that everything you have given me is from you. They have received them, your words, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am glorified in them. Jesus does not say one negative thing about his disciples. Nothing about being slow-minded, egocentric, power-hungry, self-glory-seeking, cowards, betrayers, deserters, miserable failures, flawed characters, and they will fail him in the future. Nothing negative. Are we talking about the same men here? I think about the man who robs a bank or murders his wife or blows up a school, and the mother says, but he's such a good boy. He's really a good son. Now, we know that God knows all things, and he knows the real character of these disciples. How is it that Jesus could talk to his father about his disciples like this? How is it that God could talk about David, who committed adultery with the wife of one of his top military officers, who then murdered him to cover his sin, who sinned against him in many more ways, and that God used him as the spiritual high point, the reference point for all later kings, and the summary of his life that is given to us in Acts chapter 13, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after God's heart. How is it that the Father and Jesus can have such an esteemed assessment and positive perspective of such sorrowful sinners like you and me and these disciples? How is it that Jesus and the Father can speak so well of sinful disciples who have evidenced such weakness and weak faith? Because these disciples were not measured by the strength of their character or the magnitude of their faith, but by the character of their Savior and the object of their faith. It is not who we are in our sinful state. It is whose we are in our saved state, that we are a justified, redeemed people. Psalm 130 says, If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there's forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. God does not treat us. He does not speak to us as our sins deserve. Jesus is speaking and praying about his disciples as justified, innocent men without blemish, pure, precious gifts that the Father gave him. In verse 6, yours they were, and you gave them to me. I'm praying for them. I am not praying for the world I am praying for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. Can you hear the affection in this language? It's reminiscent of the Song of Solomon, where he says, My beloved is mine, and I am his. And Revelation 21, with the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. 
And the father, every time you see a wedding and you see a father walking his bride down the aisle to give them to the groom, here we have this picture of the holy city of Jerusalem coming out of heaven like a prepared bride for the groom. And the father gives the bride to the groom. Find this delight. And we see this imagery here. The father is delighted. We just repeated this morning in our worship from Psalm 18. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The father's delight is expressed in this passage. Jesus is speaking about his disciples as a precious, beloved gift from the father. And later in this prayer, Jesus talks about how the love of the Father, the same love of the Father has for his only begotten Son, that same love is given to the disciples. And you might ask, how do I know whether I'm one of those precious gifts that the Father has given to the Son? How can I know whether I have that same love of the Father that Jesus has? Well, here's the question. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus was sent by the Father as the Savior of sinners? Have you received him? Have you received his works, his word? These are marks of of belief of true disciples. And if you have, if you can say yes to that, then you can have assurance that you have been given to Christ. You have been given to Christ just as the disciples were given by the Father to Christ. Can you sense this affection, this love that he has, that he's speaking to his father about for his disciples? They glorified me. There is uh, passages in the Old Testament where the people of God are talked about as God's treasured possession. They are mine in Malachi. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty. And in that day I will make up, I will make up my treasured possession. I will spare them just as, it, as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And so on and on, God reminds us that he is this loving, affectionate father, and Jesus is, exp- is expressing this. What does it make you feel like that God the Father and God the Son are talking about you, and the only things that they have to say are good things? are how you have kept his word, how you trust in him, how you believe that Jesus came. Do you realize that in the conversation that Jesus has with the Father, the only thing he speaks about is how wonderful you are, how proud he is of you, and that he's glorified in you. How is that possible? Through faith in Jesus Christ. The perfect righteousness of Christ. As you have trusted in Christ, that is your place. That is your position before this holy God. It is a marvelous thing. It is not as if God is blind or stupid or indulgent or has decided to turn a blind eye to the offenses or rebellion and sin in our lives. No. God knew it all. God saw it all. God was offended by it all. 
And God hated every act, every imagination of evil and rebellion of our hearts. He hated the ugliness it turned us into. It was repulsive and repugnant to him. He thought about it so much. He was consumed about it so much. He was caught up in eradicating its presence and power in our lives. And so he and his son and the Holy Spirit teamed up to bring a thoroughgoing redemption initiated by the Father, accomplished by the Son, and applied by the Holy Spirit. This is our God. This is what he does with our sin and our rebellion. And it's been washed away. It's removed as far as the east is from the west. He has thrown it into the depths of the sea. And so when Jesus talks to the Father about you, he is talking only good things. Now, is he passionate for your sanctification? Is he going to work you in his gym of conforming yourself to the Son? Are you going to go through trials? Yes. But when God the Father and God the Son are talking about you, he is only speaking good things. Only affectionate things. Only loving things. But there is one who doesn't. There is one who doesn't want us to forget, forget our sin or our sinful condition. There is one who is constantly accusing us. And that is the enemy. Holy Father, he says, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are on. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus affirms that we need protection to be kept safe, that we have an enemy, that there is real danger around us that seeks our ill, that seeks our destruction. And Jesus feels this burden. This is a transition point. You can feel the tension, like Jesus is getting ready to release his power. He's going to be under the full wrath of God's judgment for our behalf. He will be out of touch with his disciples during this period of time. And so he's praying, Father, protect them by your name. I protected him while I was here, but now I'm going to experience the judgment. And Jesus, when he was speaking to religious rulers in John 8, he says to them, why, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. And he says, the devil, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. And so Jesus reveals to us the nature of this enemy that we have. And we heard about it from 1 Peter 5, that he's like a roaring lion seeking to devour someone. And we have this enemy, this adversary. And uh, in Zechariah 3, it talks about how Satan stands uh, before the Lord uh, and he's accusing Joshua, the high priest. And in Revelation, it says, And then I heard a loud voice in heaven. Now we have come the salvation, the power of the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. Satan is an accuser. And that's actually one of the definitions of the word devil. Uh, Diabolus. It is that he is an accuser, a slanderer. And so he is the father of all lies. He's a murderer. He opposes God's word. His chief enemy is to distort 
and diminish and deny God's word. He casts doubts on God's goodness. He hinders missions. He hates the expansion of the kingdom of God. He hates it when people pray for lost neighbors or for lost family members that they would know Jesus. He hates it when churches are talking about church planting or expanding uh, the kingdom in such ways. He blinds the minds of unbelievers, and he uses the fear of death to hold men bondage. These are just some of the things that he does. And so Jesus prays, protect them by your name, protect them. And when Jesus prays, protect them, Father, by your name, when that is expressed, it's not only encompassing the character of God, it's also encompassing the might of God and the power of God. And so when Jesus is saying it in this context, he is praying, protect them by your name. Protect them by the power of your name. In Psalm 57, save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your might, by your power, by your strength. And so Jesus is praying for the protective power of the Father on his uh, disciples. In 1 John 3, he says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And so Jesus has come to destroy the works of the devil, to tie up the strong man and to carry uh, him away, to liberate captives. And he does this for you and I. And so Jesus has this authority, this power. Uh, you know, uh, I've, I've shared this illustration some time ago, and this is about one of our ruling elders in our body, Jeek Malio. Uh, he a, P, a PhD in microbiology. He grew up in the Republic of Chad, where witchcraft and the belief of evil spirits uh, was very normative, uh, and that people needed to be protected from evil spirits. It was a very common thing. And his uncle, who, uh, who was a, a grandfather, told him uh, that he needed to be protected annually. And every year, he would craft some kind of a potion, some kind of a drink, uh, and say some word over Jeek to guard him, to protect him from various evil spirits. But when Jeek became a Christian, he told his uncle that he no longer needed that potion. And Jeek knew that he had Jesus to protect him, that uh, Jesus would be a fence all around him every day. And Jesus said that voodoo uh, was also common in Benin, uh, Benin, uh, Benin, Benin, thank you, West Africa. And he said a particular university student would practice voodoo, placing curses on other students and controlling them, such as having them not attend class or a test. But he said while he was successful... And having power over unbelievers, those who were of nominal faith, when he attempted to do voodoo on true believers, he said it was like there was some kind of barrier, some kind of force field around them. He said it was like his curses and voodoo just bounced off. It was like that, that, that and it was that experience that convinced this student that Christianity was true, that Christ was true, and that that student gave his life to Christ. I think it's telling that Satan is constantly accusing us and that he's seeking our destruction. And he says in Luke 22, Simon, Simon, Jesus said, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Jesus, he's 
has prayed for Simon, that his faith would not fail. Satan is, is, Satan is trying to come after every single one of us here. <laughs> I mean, this is what this tells. He wants to destroy image bearers. That's what he does. And Jesus is telling Simon, but I have prayed for you. You know, Hebrews chapter 7, 25 says, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. He always is living. Jesus is always living. You know, a lot of times you might say this to somebody that you hear a particular need. I'll pray for you. You know, I'm praying for you. And I'm not going to ask for a raising of hands. But how many of us have had that experience where you hear something and we tell somebody, I'm going to pray for you, and you didn't pray for them. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands. My hand would be up. I have to repent of that. Uh, let me just encourage you that it's better just to go ahead and pray for that person right there. You know, if, you, if you're talking to a person and you know that there's a pressing need or something, don't say, I'll pray for you. Just pray for them. Just take that very moment, even if it's a short, just to pray for them. But here's the thing. We may fail to pray for people, but I can tell you that Jesus never fails and that he is always interceding. He ever lives to intercede for his children. <laughs> He's praying right now for you and me. The infinite Son of God is praying for us. That is an amazing thing. The last point is the essentials. How, how Jesus, what is Jesus praying for, for his disciples? As I close, there's three things. They have kept your word. Holy Father, keep them in your name that they may be one. And I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. If you were to think of, you know, an instrument panel Think about four different gauges on your instrument panel for essentials for the Christian faith. And here, would they, this is what they would be. Oh, there's only three. Sorry, there was, I, I threw an additional, anyhow. That was, I gave an updated PowerPoint later, but that's okay. This is really what's in the text. You know, he, he says, they have kept your word. There's so much emphasis, and we'll be hearing more about this next week from Pastor Stan, but the gauge of how you keep God's word is huge on Jesus' mind. It's the first thing that he commends them for. They have kept my word. They acknowledged that Christ's word was true. They, had, they were holding the same position that Jesus had about the scriptures, that this was truly God's word. You know, it's no problem if you with scriptures. If you struggle with passages in scriptures, I struggle with certain passages in scripture. What is not okay is if I'm authority over the scriptures. What's not okay is if I decide I want to I accept these texts, but I'm not going to accept these other texts. Because then the question is, well, who is the authority in your life? What Jesus do you believe in? Who is your God that you're worshiping? And I encourage you 
when Jesus is praying, they have kept my word. He's saying they've kept all my word. They, they, they have acknowledged that my word is true. They might not understand it. It might be hard for them to comprehend, but they embrace my word. The other point is that they may be one, and it deals with the community, that uh, our relationship in the body of Christ is so vital for our own spiritual health. When we are alone, when we are independent, and we function by ourselves, we are totally open to uh, the attacks of the evil one. We need the fellowship, and we need, need each other to grow in faith. Are you vitally connected to the covenant community of God's worshiping people? It's a messed up body. There, if you find a perfect church, let me know. I'd like to join it. But this is one other imperfect, messed up church, but we seek to humble ourselves to acknowledge our faults and to grow in grace. And so you need to be connected and committed to the unity that Jesus is praying for. And finally, you, should, you need to fight for joy. You need to fight for the joy of the Lord in your life. And, uh, you know, one of the chief ways to fight for joy is by prayer. And uh, Jesus says in John 15, uh, he says, Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. And so while prayer maybe isn't listed in this thing, there's no question that for our joy we have to be in relationship with Christ on a constant, regular basis. We have to fight for joy. Uh, there's a list of things here. Uh, you know, when you're feeling depressed, when you're feeling, like, discouraged, when you're feeling like it's not worth living, those are attacks from the evil one. Uh, you have to take charge of your heart. You have to take charge of what's going on inside yourself. And you need to remind yourself, like David does, he commands his soul, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord. Forget not all of his benefits, who heals all my diseases, who redeems your life from the pit. You need to start remembering the positive things that Christ has done to restore your joy. You need to fight for joy. That is a responsibility for every single believer. And if we know of a brother or sister who's really struggling, and many of us struggle, chemical depression or other things, we need to be prayerful and supportive of them to make sure they get help. So Jesus is praying for us. Jesus has an infinite attention to spare for us. Uh, C.S. Lewis talked about God is not in time. His time doesn't consist of moments following one another. He has infinity to listen to the split second of prayer put up by a pilot as his plane crashes in the plains. You know, a lot of times we think, how does God have all this time? I mean, I'm just one person among millions or billions of people. I mean, how does he have such a focus? Well, because he's an infinite God, and he has an infinite tension just for you. And so he says, God is inf has infinite attention to spare for each one of us. You are as much alone with him as if you were the only being he has ever created, which is an amazing thing. And so are you safe? Are you safe? Nobody is safe in one sense. 
uh, it was in December when that Paris attack with the coordinated attacks that killed 130 people in these various places, um, which was horrendous of unsuspecting innocence. And the experts said in that time that it's a different day in intelligence gathering because now radicalized people who are living in the country don't need to communicate directly to the outside. And so it's hard to capture suspecting terrorists because of the information, because of the lack of information. So a person can be instantly radicalized without much warning and start destroying people's lives. And as I listened to that uh, dialogue on the, on the air, Juliana was in the room. I didn't ask her for permission to share this. And she is here, but thank you. I ask forgiveness later. I, if, I give, if, I, if I do illustrations with my children or my family, I usually ask for permission. Uh, I'm not doing that today. But, you know, after I heard uh, this assessment of our present situation in the world uh, and how it's a different world and that it's really hard to keep people safe, how do you, like, prevent trucks from just ramming into hundreds of people? How do you do that with all the trucks that are out there? And so when I heard this, I said this. I said, well, you just have to be ready to die. You just have to be ready to die. And I said to Julianne, and I asked her, I said, Julianne, are you ready to die? And she said, I am ready to die. <laughs> and I smiled at her, and I said, how do you know that you're ready to die? And she smiled back to me. And she didn't tell me. But I knew that she knew. She knew that only Jesus could protect her. That even in death, because of her faith in Christ, she knows that Jesus would protect her. Satan might destroy our bodies, but he cannot kill our souls. And Jesus is the Redeemer. He has destroyed the power of Satan, and he will redeem not only our souls, but our bodies as well. We have this assurance. Jesus, the firstborn of the resurrection. And so Jesus says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. The way we can stay safe is by faith in Jesus Christ, by trusting in him, by knowing that he delights in us with pure the light and affection. He doesn't see anything evil in your life, even though you're all messed up still. He just talks to his father about you with the light and affection and all in good things. But there is an evil one, and we need to pray for each other. We need to be faithful in this world to be diligent, to protect our joy and to encourage the expansion of his kingdom. Let us give ourselves to prayer to the scriptures, to the unity of the body of Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you give us this passage uh, to remind us that you are ever living to intercede for us as our high priest. Even now, you have risen from the dead and you have ascended on high and you are in charge. God, while the world seems like it's falling apart and it's crazy, uh, Lord, we know that you are the ultimate victor and that you will have your bride. 
God, we thank you that in faith in Christ that we can be like those given to the Son. And so, Lord Jesus, let, let us live in that grace. Let us live in that love that we might be faithful to you in the time, the short time that we have in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. So when the test and trials They seem to get you down And all my friends and loved ones Are nowhere to be found Remember there's a friend in Jesus Who will wipe my tears away I know that I can make it, I know that I can stand, no matter what may come my way, my life is in His hand, with Jesus I can take it, with Him I know I can stand. my way my life is in your hand and now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his presence without fault and with glorious joy to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus both now and forevermore amen <laughs>